Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have an incredible opportunity to talk to Brandon Roten, who is the CMO of Ground Truth. Now, part of the background here is what makes this conversation so interesting is that Brandon has had an extensive B2C background at Wendy's, the CMO of Papa John's, went on to be the CMO of Potbelly Sandwiches, and was brought into Ground Truth as a CMO to bring more B2C to B2B. So with that, Brandon, I'm going to let you maybe give a little bit more on your background and why you were brought into Ground Truth and what you're doing. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Steve. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of started in the marketing world on the agency side, actually a B2B agency. Now it's called Merkle B2B. At the time it was uh, Gyro HSR. Um, there we did a lot of work that uh, for B2B companies that was much more about grabbing attention, uh, more so than than typical B2B stuff, even though there was a lot of thought leadership, a lot of sort of long-term uh, B2B-like efforts. But at the end of the day, um, that's kind of where I got the taste for marketing and learned the ropes. Uh, somehow Wendy's found me and asked me to come build their digital social program. So I did that. Uh, that did really well. So Wendy's kept giving me stuff to do. Uh, ultimately, I ran all advertising, media, external creative, anything brand, anything consumer facing for Wendy's uh, for about six years and uh, and had some great success there as we, we helped turn that brand around and then ultimately uh, get it kind of known for its digital and social marketing, especially and, and overall its, its rebranding efforts. That led me to become CMO of Papa John's, where we reworked all their media, reworked their creative approach, uh, you know, built a team there to do that work, and and then went to Potbelly, where I had a totally different challenge. There, we had to rebuild the menu, rebuild uh, pricing structure, rebuild uh, kind of basic brand elements uh, to make that brand start growing again as well. Um, and through all that, uh, you know, really didn't have an intention to be in B two C or B two B, but. Uh, but uh, had worked with a lot of great partners, and one of them was Ground Truth. And Ground Truth is a, uh, a real-world behavior into uh, into a marketing company uses location, purchase data, things like that to help build out mediums. And uh, and Ground Truth asked me to come help them out uh, to to put a little of that B two C into into their B two B world. Um, obviously, they work with a lot of B two C clients like like me previously. So, uh, so it was a really good fit and, uh, and I'm having a blast in the B2B world of the last, you know, year-ish. So, you know, we've heard a lot the, the the idea of getting more B2C in your B2B is not new. Gartner talks about it. A lot of the analyst firms talk about it. You've got this incredible background. You started B2B, worked with a number of different clients, worked heavily, extensively at, at the highest levels of B2C. And now you're brought in to do exactly what? The analysts are telling us we need to do. If you could just sum up in your own terms why you think that B2B needs more B2C and, and just put it, you know, into terms that we can understand a little bit better. Yeah. So I think um, our CEO at Gyro said it best. Uh, his name was Rick Siegel. Um, we had three great founders at that organization, but he used to always say to, to our B2B firm, you know, we're advertising to people. And they have the same attention issues. They have the same, you know, fundamental desires. They have the same emotional pull to things to get their attention. So because we're advertising to people, we use the same techniques as a B2C company does. I really don't think anyone ever bought, you know, when I was at back at my gyro days, I don't think anybody bought a machine tool because it was a little bit faster. 
at least at first, that's not what caught their attention about the machine tool or the bearing or the, you name the B2B thing that we, we, you know, our clients sold. Something beyond that, deeper than that, actually got them interested in digging into the specs and understanding those details that in theory would get the engineers to agree to buy the thing. So I, I think it really boils down to you're advertising to people. And the clutter in B2B is very similar to the clutter in B2C. It just is. I mean, you go through your LinkedIn feed, you go through if you're you know, into sort of the niches on Twitter, some other social sites, the clutter is, is, is immense. And everyone is throwing stats and facts and, and deep details at you where you don't, even, you don't even find that hook until you're a third of the way into the content. And I don't think that works. So it really boils down to, we're advertising to people in B2B and they have fundamental needs that can be addressed quickly and get their attention. You know, and it, it makes just perfect sense, right? You can't go up and down the LinkedIn feed without getting a little bored, right? And there's, there's no reason <laughs> for that. In fact, I'm recording uh, a podcast episode with another CMO later this week. And it's the title of it, of it is how to steal the attention of your audience in such a good way because content, you know, go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, we were in trade journals and B2B and, you know, stuff like that. But now everybody's got a content team. Everybody's producing content and we're vying for the attention and our buyers are 70% of the way through their research by the time they even want to talk to us. So we've got to get their attention. We've got to get earlier in that buyer journey than we have before. So I think we're all we're all bought in on it. Tell me just a, a little bit about maybe some stories about how you think B2C in B2B has worked well that we can kind of take this basic concept and start putting some kind of meat on the bone there. Yeah. So I know it helps a lot to use real world examples with with my team. And when I first joined Ground Truth, um, you know, the kind of the, the, the in opening discussion I had with the marketing team and the sales team and, and several other teams was essentially, we don't have to do this the same way everyone else is doing it. Uh, because in truth, we'll get the same results they're getting. And the examples I used were consumer examples, but consumer examples that I think were serious pivots from traditional B2B-like marketing of technical items to B2C items that had to be, you know, attention grabbers. So one example I gave was the Microsoft Zune versus the Apple iPod, those two campaigns. And if you remember back, and it's been a really long time, so you know I'm sure people here they don't even know what a Microsoft Zune is, but a Microsoft Zune is was Microsoft's version of the, the iPod. And it actually came out, I believe, a bit before or about the same time as the, the Apple iPod, which eventually became the iPhone. So the way Microsoft pitched the Zune was, and I think they were teaming up with Dell at the time to do this, so two big, big companies, uh, basically said it's got X gigabits, gigabytes of capacity, it's this fast, it syncs with this computer. It was a listing, it was a B2B style listing of features, of specs. And, and they're trying to communicate to a public that didn't really understand any of that stuff. So instead, micro, uh, Apple came out and said a thousand songs in your pocket. And that made total sense. It was just a simple way to illustrate the same exact information and, and in a way that the, cons the consumers actually found compelling. So 
iPod took off, Zoom went the way of the dinosaur. Uh, I think because of that fundamental approach, they boiled it down to what was the need and what was a compelling way to express the need so people would pay attention. And then they had the iconic campaign shortly after with the white earbuds and dancing, and it was just a silhouette in the background. This idea of you're bringing your music with you, people transitioning from CDs and tape decks and all that stuff. So I think that's an amazing example that B2B marketers can use to say you don't need to use the specs. You can use the specs down down the, the touches, you know, down funnel. Somebody's going to be interested in that stuff. But at the first touch, it's probably not compelling. I think another from the tech board that, that I found very uh, useful for my team was Intel. So Intel, during the whole battle of speed of processors, you know, it was a 46 and then a Pentium 1 and then a Pentium 2 and how much RAM and how much memory. Again, it was specs and it was overwhelming to most consumers. Well, you know, Intel just said Intel inside and they had their little mnemonic, the, the, the audio, you know, mnemonic that they had in their ads. And basically, if that stamp was on your computer's case, it was the most updated processor. You just had to feel good about it. And it was a breakthrough for, I think, home computing, because people all of a sudden said, I just need to get something that has Intel inside. And I know it's it's going to be good. It's going to be fast. Uh, because again, that extra 10 gigahertz or whatever it was, doesn't really matter to most consumers. They just want the confidence that if they're going to go buy a thing, it's not going to be obsolete in weeks. So I think that's another great consumer example. Um I shared with my team uh, an example of a campaign we did it at, at Gyro. Uh, it was called Down With Dust. It was a drywall company. And basically, when you're putting up drywall, it's really dusty and messy. Well, their whole thing was their dust was heavy, so it fell to the ground. So our ad was uh, sitting in Home Depot, sitting in Lowe's, mostly to contractors, was typical goggles that someone would wear while doing, while doing uh, you know, uh, contracting work with drywall. And it had down on, on the, written on the dust in it and then this thing below it with this pile of dust on the ground and yeah you could you could look at that for five minutes if you wanted and read all the specs but that's not what got your attention it was this idea that every drywall contractor knows you're covered in dust when you're right. doing this work and you don't have to be so i think there are a lot of great examples that you can use to illustrate to your team that it is very possible to have this conversation in a different way you just gotta get a little creative with it and when you get pushback internally from your engineers, or your product people say, yeah, but you didn't say this, but you didn't say this. It's a process. That first touch, you don't say everything. You say just what needs to be said to get someone's attention and get their interest. Once that happens, you can move them down. You can get them to your microsite. You can get them to your website. You can get them to your brochure, whatever it is that, that goes deep. So two things I'm dying to ask there. One is we got to talk about what it is you say. So if it's, you know, product marketing is huge in B2B, right? Has a very, very defined, important role. But what you're talking about and getting their attention isn't product marketing, right? So what is it in that message, getting that attention, you know, from a strategic perspective, what is it that you're trying to convey if it's not the specs, it's not the Zoom, you know, gigabytes and how fast it is or the Pentium one or two, in your mind, in the B2B world, we got to get their attention. We got to be creative about it. But what is it that we're trying to convey? There, there's a lot of names for it. So I won't go through the litany of synonyms for this thing. I call it the hook. It's the fundamental thing that solves the problem that the person's trying to solve. In a B2B context, and I would argue in most B2C contests, context, your product is designed, your product or service is designed to fix something. They have an issue and you're trying to fix that issue. In some cases, an issue they don't even know they have. 
But when they see the, the problem, they recognize it in, you know, a potential issue for them. And that makes them interested. But but I call it the hook. Some people call it unique selling propositions. I mean, again, dozens of synonyms for this thing. But the one thing and, you know, I have some very basic rules when I re review creative. And one of them is what's the one thing? And it's got to be one. You can't have three. You can't have five. What's the one thing that's going to get their attention, solve the problem for the user, get them interested in the conversation, and you can express in a creative, compelling way. So I think it's that hook that ultimately grabs somebody's attention. It's like our dust is heavier, right? That's right. That's, that's right. a single hook. It is. And down with dust was the way we put it, you know, yeah. at, that, at that particular case. So it is the one thing. I think for the iPod, it's a thousand songs in your pocket. It's you want to carry around all your music with you. That's the problem. And if you are in the CD world or the tape deck world, you know that's impossible. You know, everybody used to have that giant folder of CDs in their car or, or tapes or whatever in their car with hundreds of discs. And you just realize eventually that's inefficient compared to this little thing I can stick in my pocket. Or now this phone that does the same work for me. Or now it's a Spotify that does the work for me without even downloading anything. So Boil it down to that singular thing that differentiates your product. And as the category becomes more crowded, the product that you're trying to sell has more competition, you're going to have to change what that thing is potentially. You know, if like iPod became the, the monolith in, in, in like those sort of systems, but in most cases like drywall, you know, we had dozens of competitors on the shelves. So we had to say, well, what's that one thing, that one problem that this solves? Because everybody, every drywall puts drywall up and it finishes the house. But what's the problem we're trying to solve? What, what is worth the premium you're going to pay for this drywall mud, which is actually what it was. And we, be we believed and it worked that it was the fact that this stuff hit the ground and didn't cover your whole body with dust. So I think you got to find that hook, find that single thing that differentiates and solves the problem. And, you know, immediately when you said our dust is heavier, I thought I had a visual in my mind came up of, you know, a room just full of dust, like almost smoky looking, right? But then you said it's heavier. It just, in my mind, it all just fell down, right? So the second thing that you said was that we, we have to be more creative, right, in, in how we convey the message here. Because how it's said can be as important as what's said. Right. Like the thousand songs in your pocket. After you and I talked this last week, I ran that by one of my 17 year old sons. And he's like, that's cool, dad. And I'm like, yeah, it just it was very simple. I want all that right here in my pocket. So you had mentioned in there like they had, you know, that that message was different. Uh, delivered very creatively, right? It had silhouettes of people that were dancing and it was just a, it was a very creative message in the B2B world. What's your definition or when you're saying I've got a goal of delivering these messages, but more creatively, yeah. what does that look like? How do you think about that? Yeah. So I, I think it really boils down to knowing who your target is and what they define as interesting. Mm -hmm. So it, it does change category to category and it changes at the part of the funnel you're at. The deeper down the funnel, the more likely you're going to be dealing with somebody who's more interested in technical things, and therefore the technical look will be more interesting to them. But that doesn't mean it has to be complicated. It doesn't mean it has to be a, a, a recitation of dozens of specs. So, you know, I'll go back to my B2B days to, to point out an example. We, you know, one of the companies we represented was called Makino, a machine tool company. This stuff is, you know, as, as industrial as industrial gets. 
And one of the products they had was a wire cutter. So it's called an EDM machine and it cuts, it cuts metal. Well, a problem when you're cutting metal is the wire starts to bend out and it creates what's called a belly in the cut, a little outpour, out group where it's not straight, where you actually get a little you know, push because that wire naturally pushes out. So we had a campaign and we took a guy with a huge gut and he was the guy in the ad. And the whole thing was get rid of your belly. <laughs> no, again, very simple. It illustrated oh. the point. It was very straightforward. It was very irreverent for the category. You know, the whole category was all just about, again, numbers saying how fast something went or how straight, how many microns it was accurate. You have time for that stuff after you catch their attention. And that's what we actually had to convince the client of. And it didn't take a whole lot of convincing because the ad was hilarious. But, and we all did a whole series of ads for a number of years with this, this same guy, this same, you know, belly man that we're trying to get rid of the belly. So I think you have to boil it down to that one thing. This is what differentiates this machine from another one. And the machine costs half a million dollars. You know, this is not a minor decision, but you still need their attention before you can pull them in. And, and you got to think about the target. Well, what is somebody running a machine tool like? They aren't a, you know, button down engineer. They're a worker, a blue collar worker who thinks that stuff is hilarious because it is hilarious, right. you know? So when they see that ad, they say to their, their foreman or the guy who runs the shop or whatever, you know, I've had a problem with this belly. Do you look at this Makino machine? Because they say they can get rid of the belly. But what caught their attention was this dude who had a big belly and it was get rid of the belly. So I, I think you have to know your target, what catches their attention, and then find the interesting hook within that. And it's going to change industry to industry. Like right now, my company is a media company. We sell media across every device. So CTV and mobile and desktop and all this stuff, all based on location and purchase data and other rural behavior. So we're selling to media buyers. Well, what's interesting to media buyers is different than what's interesting to creatives at marketing companies. So the stuff we're talking about are the, the things they really want. They want ROI, and that can be really boring. So you have to find compelling ways to talk about ROI, because that's what they're judged by, is how, much, how many dollars do you make for this company after you invest media dollars? So that's, that's the creative we're building right now and, and starting to put into the world. It's all about driving the ROI. But it's not you know, giant charts. It's not giant facts. It's simple. It's literally like you're wasting your ad dollars. Here's how to fix it. It's very straightforward. I'm mean, use illustrations of that to drive attention. It's not perfect yet because I'm still building my team. I'm still getting the infrastructure right. But when you boil it down, you, you have to say, what is the one thing that they care about? And they is your target. So will the target care? You know, I mentioned before, one of the things was, you know, this idea that you have to have one thing. Well, the second thing when I review any piece of creative is, will the target care? Yeah. And it's that simple. And if the answer is yes, it's compelling to the target, it will work. It's not about you, what you care about. It's not about what your boss cares about, even though you got to sell it to your boss. It's not about, you know, what the media agency thinks. It's will the target care about that piece of creative. And I think you have to find that hook that's unique to you, that expresses the one thing and clearly makes the target care and pay attention. You know, I there's something in that I want to ask your opinion on because I spent a lot of my career as well in B2C working with, I was at a uh, top 10 digital agency and we had Nike and Procter and Gamble and Miller Brewing. And, you know, one of the things that we always tried to do is latch onto an emotion, right? And that's big emotional selling in the B2C world. In the B2B world, you're making a, a big purchase, right? When you're talking about, you know, 
multi-million dollar media buys and the ROI, if you're getting it or not, investing in a big piece of industrial machinery, the risk factor is big, right? So there's a lot of emotion that's in, that's tied in there. And when you were talking about the ROI, you're wasting, right? You're wasting money. That Where that hit me was that like, oh, right? There's a huge emotional component to that. Yeah. Is there... Is that part of what you judge in terms of B to C more B to C and B to B is tying into the emotions that your your buyers care about? Yeah, I think it is. And and you can create emotion too, right? That's why when something's yeah. funny, it gets attention. You're creating like a moment of happiness in the actual execution of the creative. So yeah, I think it has to be compelling. And for most people, people don't make decisions at least at the beginning of the decision process based on logic, they may get on emotions. You know, the joke is that nobody owns a Camry because the Camry actually lasts forever. They own a Camry because they want to be seen in a Camry and they want to feel like it's going to last forever. It's the feeling it's the emotions tied to it. Um, so, so yeah, I think you absolutely have to tap into that either by creating a moment of emotion, like saying you're wasting your ad dollars, which, which give you a little pang, like, Oh my God, that's like, it's the worst thing you can say to me as a, a media buyer is that I'm wasting someone's money. That's my job is to be, right. you know, good with their money, good with their investments. Um, or you you actually dig into the emotion that's there. And I think the iPod commercial with people dancing is like you're, you're showing like I can experience this joy if I have all my music in my pocket. So, yeah, absolutely. You have to tie into emotion to make it work. And B2B generally focus on lists of facts. Right. And and while that has its place, it doesn't have its place at that first touch for a brand. Typically, it's very rare that a list of facts is actually what's going to get someone to to care. Well, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a B two B SaaS founder myself. I've worked with tons of B two B companies, and we all fall into the trap of if we just tell them right about our product, you know, the tech or the product itself or the service everybody's going to come right you know once they know and so we we are subject matter experts of our babies the products and services that we create right and so we tend to talk more about that but you said a lot you can't in, in one of our uh conversations leading up to this recording you talked about that stage four right tell me a little bit about what are the stages that come in before that if product marketing which is incredibly important in the world of B2B, but if that's a stage four, what's happening before that in your mind? Yeah, so I, I actually, I would argue this is exactly the same in B2C. Every time I produced a you know large campaign for a B2C company, there are people internally that push back and say, just say this. And it's like, it's this kind of cheese on a sandwich because people really like this kind of cheese. So, so it boils, it's the same. Everyone wants to basically have this really long conversation with you rather than say the thing that's actually compelling and, and gets attention. So I would argue the, the first step is always just what's that one thing that is compelling to the, the target and builds up what you want the brand to be long-term. That's it. Those are those three questions I mentioned. The one thing, target cares, builds up the long-term brand you want. That's the first touch in almost every communication that's going to get attention. The second touch goes a little deeper and starts to unwind the problem a bit and get someone aware that you actually have the, they have the comp, they start building confidence. You're capable of understanding their problem. 
and maybe starts to hint at you have solved the problems for others. And really that's stage three, as far as I'm concerned, is you get down to that next step where you're actually giving them confidence that you're able to solve the problem. That right. And right. and once you get past there, then you can talk about the product itself and the, the specs of that product and what makes your technology better. Every single, and you said it, every single company thinks they sell the best stuff. And as yeah. soon as someone knows about it, they're going to come running. I have never been at a company that's worth its salt that doesn't believe that. The flaw is everybody thinks it. Right. So therefore, <laughs> everyone just tries to do this thing down here rather than have this conversation first. I, I genuinely look at it like any conversation you'd have with a stranger. If you walk up in a, in a party to a group of people and you start by telling your entire life story, you're going to have people turning away pretty quick. Right. You may think your life story is very compelling. Right. And they want to know every in and out of everything you've ever done, everywhere you've ever been, everything. That's not how it works. You start with the light things that you share in common that are interesting. And then you dig from there. And a lot of times you don't make it to stage four. You don't make it all the way down. And that's okay. That's a filtering process to make sure that is the right customer for you or that is the right person at the party to talk to. So when you get down to it, you have to start with something light and relatable and interesting. You express the single thing. You do it in a way the target cares about. And you do it in a way that, that builds ultimately for the brand long term. The technology, the specs, if they want to jump right to that, you let them. So the wonderful thing about, about marketing, modern marketing, is we have a ton of tools. If somebody wants to click straight through to your ad and dig deep on your website to understand the technology aspect, they can. Let them. You're not stopping them. Right. So it's fine if, that, if that's actually interesting. But 90% of people probably aren't going to do that. They're probably going to hit the landing page and decide, well, is this interesting or not? Let me Google it. And then that's where your SEO and SEM kick in. And then they're like, well, let me look to see if I if this person on the forum is using the thing. They're, they're, they're kind of this roundabout way of, of discovering whether or not you're interesting to them. And to me, the steps are you get their attention, then you build, you know, like you understand the problem, and then you have solved the problem for others. And then you get to the point where this is actually how we solve the problem. You know, this is the technology we use without blocking anybody at any step. If they want to jump around, let them jump around. If all they care about is staring at the belly man ad, let them stare at the belly man ad. That's great. If that gets them to call you, awesome. But most of the time, you got to take them down a bit of a process, just like any relationship. And you said something, you said, I mean, everything in there was incredibly important. One that really stood out to me is you've got to prove that you're worthy and that you can solve the problem, right? And, you know, that you can be trusted. And, and there's these, you know, words in the B2B world, you know, you got to be an expert, you got to be a trusted advisor, right? So you've got to prove that you actually know what you're doing and B2B buyers don't want to be sold to, they want to be advised. And they want to be advised by somebody that can help them in their job, right? So this extends out beyond just the actual product and specific problem that they have. But if they see that, hey, you know what you're talking about in terms of this industry, right? And what's happening, what's coming down the pike, what's going on, what's going to impact them in their job. Guess what? You're an expert in that industry. Experts make better products. <laughs> There's this rub off there. Yeah, yeah. So all of this, when you're we're, these different stages that we're talking about, this is all content that we're creating here, right? If I were to ask you, what's your 
your opinion, I'm going to have you actually rate it on a scale of one to 10 in terms of how important is content for the overall success, the growth and success of the business? One, not important at all. 10, vital to the growth and success of the company. How would you answer that? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a caveat before I give you a number. Um, the caveat is I really believe you need to build out the brand infrastructure before you go and throw a bunch of content in the world. And I'm still in that process at my current company. And, and every company I've joined, it takes months, if not a year in some cases, to build out what is the what is the brand that you are building. So therefore, what, what is the point of view of that brand? What is the personality of that brand? What and, and it's not just a decision you make, it's testing you do to figure out if the target cares about that point of view. Um, probably best illustrated in the work we did at Wendy's. Ultimately at Wendy's, B2C brand still, we, we built this snarky brand that was based off of the 1984 Where's the Beef commercial. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that that took a bunch of testing because it was controversial at its time back in 2011, 2012. And we weren't exactly sure if it was going to work, even though the theory said it would work because it worked in the 80s and also because we were going after a younger target that used social media in this way. But it takes time. You have to build out the brand first. You have to build out the team capable of producing content for the brand with some scale and consistency because without consistency, you have no brand. So once that's in place, it's a nine. It's very important. And I didn't give it a 10 because there's other ways to do it. I think you can blitzkrieg media and still get to a result. Not necessarily the exact efficiency or the same way or the long-term effect, but you can do it in other ways. So I think it's a nine once you have the infrastructure in place to do it properly. And it does take a little time to build that infrastructure. So Brandon, we've we've talked about a lot here, right? But in this notion of, you know, for CMOs, you got to get some more B2C in your B2B. If there was one thing that you wanted the audience to take away from the conversation here, what would your advice be? What's the hook? What's the hook? When you look at any piece of creative, any piece of content, what's the hook? Don't bury the lead. Don't make it where you're having to search for that thing that's interesting. So I, I really believe you have to have that compelling thing slap someone across the face right as it hits them. Otherwise, you're kind of wasting everyone's time and you're going to become wallpaper. So what's the hook? Yeah, I love that. You go to like a lot of B2B sites and you're reading like a paragraph and then another paragraph. You're still kind of trying to decide who they are and even what yeah. they do and you know what benefit they bring to you, right? There's so many words. I like that singular hook that's solving that problem, right? And, and meaningful to them. Yeah. Well. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. If uh, somebody had questions or wanted to get a hold of you, would uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile be appropriate? Yeah, totally. Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, and always willing to talk marketing with folks. It's it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on and sharing, and uh, we'll look forward to more coming out of Ground Truth. And and it sounds like you're you're getting ready to launch a campaign soon. Uh, we'll we'll all want to watch and and follow that along. Great. Good, good talking to you, Steve.